Hello, welcome back to IVFU. Today I want to talk about one of the most controversial aspects of infertility and alternative family making. And no, I'm not talking about the Supreme Court or the insurance industry. I'm talking about support groups. We love them. We hate them. We're pissed at them. We need them. This is why I'm very excited for you to meet Awana Garby, a fertility coach and patient advocate and founder and moderator of a fabulous Facebook fertility support group for women over 40. Don't worry if you're not over 40, you can still be in the cool person club. And we're all extra cool today because Awana is talking to us from Paris, where she lives. Don't you feel chic already? If someone would have told me like five years ago that I would be here today, I would say, get out of here. Impossible. Because (laughs) of course, infertility is super harsh on everyone and it's a shock for everyone. I mean, nobody expects ever to be infertile, you know? Right, right. Well, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm I'm great. I'm so happy that we're connecting this way and that we're going to talk about your experience. It's It's an honor and a pleasure for me. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. I love your podcast. And as you know, I shared it with our uh, Facebook community. And yeah. apparently you were you were already known because some of them said that they listened to you before. Oh, fantastic. And those who, who didn't said, oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing. So, Oh, I'm so glad. You pushed the right button. <laughs> well, I, I'm so glad because the reason I created it is when I was going through it, I wasn't finding the right buttons. And uh-huh. so this is basically the podcast I wish I'd had when I when I was going through it. So, and that's why I think I connected so much with your Facebook group too, because I just find it fits me really well. I can't, I don't know how else to explain it, but um, I feel like, oh, these are my people. <laughs> I think it's because of the age, because, you know, um, that's why I created this group, which is a group for trying to conceive over 40, because I actually needed to relate to people who are in the same, were in the same boat with me. There is something when you're like, you know, 25 or 30, and you know that you have another maybe 10 years ahead of you to start trying. And there's something else when you realize you want to have a baby and you're 42, and now your clock is really ticking. Uh, it's a, a, apart from the heartache and the heartbreak and, you know, the stress, uh, the financial stress, emotional and everything, there's also the pressure, you know, that mm-hmm. the, the the lack of time puts on you. So that's why yeah. I, I we have so many members who say, I'm so happy I found this group because I can I can totally relate, you know, to people here. I think it's important. Just like you said, I wanted a group like that and I there was none. So I had to create it. I had to create the, but the, that, button, the right button exactly. to push. Well, uh, we should say the name of your group. It's yeah. TTC, trying to conceive over 40, get the golden right. egg. Exactly. And get the golden egg is all one word. So you have to make sure you look carefully yeah. for these things. True. So I just wanted to back up a little bit. You told me in our emails that you didn't choose to get involved in this. Well, first of all, let's describe what you do in the world. So yeah. 
yeah, I'm a patient advocate and a fertility coach. And just like you said, and just like I told you in my emails, it's kind of like I didn't choose this path. It chose me. I'm I'm a journalist. When I was in television, I was a news anchor. When I used to live in Romania, I'm, I'm Romanian originally. And then at one point, I just went out of television and I started working in communication. And uh, at one point, 11 years ago, uh, I was left widowed. Oh, wow. And uh, I had two kids from this marriage. And when when you lost your husband, how old were your kids? When I lost my husband, uh, my son was 13 and my daughter was not even nine. They were young, yeah. Yeah, and that's a lot of loss to be processing at mm. that time too. Yes, it was difficult. Yeah. It was a very difficult moment. It was difficult for me and for them, you know, because I, I kind of carried my own grief and theirs too, you know, yeah. like any mother. And I just decided I wanted to, you know, to start life over. So I decided to move to France. Of course, everyone told me, you're crazy. Where are you going? You're leaving everything here. You're, I just, you know, I just needed to breathe. So I came to France and here I, I eventually I met someone else. Uh, and that someone else is now my husband. So we said, okay, we're going to have a baby. I was 39 at the time. I got off the pill. Uh, I got pregnant first month of the pill. I never had any infertility issues. My kids were not even planned or something, uh, to be very oh. honest. <laughs> I didn't even know what an ovulation test was back then. It's not that I was yeah. ignorant or something. I didn't need it, you know, so right. you don't need it. I, I had no idea there was such a thing as Facebook groups for infertility. These things, they you look for them when you need help. When you don't need help, you're not there. It's just as simple as that. Right. So we got pregnant. And so, well, we lost the baby. And of course, it was it was very traumatizing because I was I was already 16 weeks along. So, you know, you kind of yeah. think you are out of the woods. You know, you don't expect this to happen. And this is how I started going on Facebook, you know, to find community groups. I was 40. And I mean, literally, these groups, they helped me push forward. I found so many uh, stories that gave me hope. It's fantastic just to know that you're not alone because regardless if you have a supportive spouse, which, okay, you may have, uh, it's not the same thing as talking to another woman and talking to another woman who's been through the same thing. And it kind of leads back again to the idea of the age, because if you were 29, when that had happened, you would think, well, I can try again. It's still... exactly horribly painful and and emotionally very traumatic but yeah. time is on your side <laughs> exactly. but the older you get yeah you don't have those tries anymore yeah of course i i was beginning to get you know to be stressed because oh my god 35 is already late 40 is almost impossible which now of course i know it's not true but back then i didn't know that so i was putting a pressure on myself i can't even begin to tell you yeah. so i went and i checked my mh and it came back Oh my God, it was 0.2. It was like, I've lost four pounds over that weekend. That's how much I cried. Yeah. That's the end of it. I can't have any children anymore. That's the, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know. If only I had someone like me today to tell me it doesn't mean anything when you're trying naturally, because regardless of what your AMH is, if you're still ovulating one egg a month, you still have the chance to catch the good egg. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's so hard. It's that, it's that combination of setting expectations, sort of managing expectations, but also managing hope. And I yeah. think it's, it's important to find some, try to find a balance or sometimes we just ricochet back and forth between those two things. Yeah, exactly. um, but yeah. 
So uh, what did I do? I found a specialist and I went directly to IVF because again, you know, another cliche, IVF is going to help you get pregnant. If you do IVF, oh my God, you're going to get pregnant. You're going to have twins. Mind you, you might have triplets. <laughs> again, not true, but I didn't know that. So I just kind of turmoil that started, you know, and I got caught in it. I just went down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And now if you ask me, I believe that I've lost two years of my life um, doing IVF and I was useless. I just couldn't work anymore because I was tired all the time. Uh, I was pretty much useless at home. Whenever I would start a new cycle, my kids would tell my husband, oh my God, mom's starting shots again. We have to hide. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended my IVF work. Uh, in November, 2016. Yeah. So two years and a half. Yeah. So, so half of your first four years together, you were dealing with this incredibly emotional roller coaster. Absolutely. I was this horrible person with a swollen (laughs) belly, bruised and swollen belly, you know? Right. And it's funny as you're talking, I'm looking at, we're on zoom, but without our video, but I see your lovely picture and here you are with your husband. You guys look very happy. And loving in your photo and you, you're very put together. You look beautiful. And then, you know, to juxtapose that with the images that you're expressing, which we've been through, right? Where, you know, this turmoil that you're in. Oh my God. I had, you know, moments in my, during my cycles when my husband would leave for work in the morning and kiss me goodbye and come home at seven o'clock in the evening and find me in bed in my pajamas. Yeah. I just couldn't leave the bed. That's how... I don't know. There were, there were cycles depending on the protocol, of course, that would just crush me. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. Well, and it's not always the drugs too. It's it's also the cumulative effect of the failures and the the stakes Mm -hmm. get so high. You can't even believe how high they, you you thought they were high the first time. Mm -hmm. And then the eighth time you're like, this is insane. Like, you know, I mean, I've, I've always compared, you know, this infertility journey a little bit with loss, with loss of someone you love, mm-hmm. because actually it made me see in all colors. Like at the beginning, you know, I was the first time when it, I, I got my, my negative result, I was very sad, but then I was angry, but then I was, you know, I, I, I was in despair and then I was frustrated and then I was jealous on everyone else getting pregnant around me. So, mm-hmm. oh my God, it just turned into a monster. And I just wanted a little bit of peace, you know, to just, I wanted to not feel the need to pursue it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's so important to keep in mind too, as we go through this experience is it's okay to find the place that gives you comfort, even if that means rejecting other places that don't exactly. give you comfort. So you know? that's, what I, well, that's what I did. And that's how they, this is how this group was born, my group. And uh, I started a blog and I started writing articles about infertility. So it just grew on me. And, you know, when I started this journey, uh, it's not that I needed someone to tell me adjust the doses or, you know, change the protocol. It's that I would have wanted to have someone next to me to tell me not to stress that much about certain things, Mm -hmm. to tell me that uh, there are other options that I can use, uh, to tell me that IVF is not always the solution. Uh, Mm -hmm. because if you end up in a fertility clinic, they're most likely going to tell you that you have to do IVF. Encourage that, right. That's not necessarily the case, not all the time. So the thing is that women, they often, they think that they're out of option and that once they see a doctor and they see a clinic, that that's the clinic they have to stick with. And it's not like that. They have to understand that they have the right to choose the fertility clinic. So 
basically what I'm doing is then, you know, I, I tell them when, when they should ask for help, how to choose their clinics and what are the right questions to ask when looking for a fertility specialist. That's extremely important. And this is mm-hmm. a very uh, recurrent topic uh, on the group. I'm going to see a, 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 you know, in your clinic, what questions should I ask? That is essential. You have to make sure that that clinic and that RE, they are the perfect fit for you, especially right. when you're, you know, over 40, which is basically my niche. And are the people in the group American largely, or are they from all over the place? I mean, my stats show that 70, 70 to 75% of my public, they're American and then Australians and British. Oh. But that is because my blog is English and because I write in English. So Oh, I, that's true. I, I did it because on Facebook, the biggest infertility groups, I don't know about the others, but I believe the others too, they're in English. <laughs> well, it's so funny because, you know, I had no, I thought you were American and lived in America. Oh, thank you so much. That's a compliment. <laughs> but it's interesting to me because I, I still feel very much, and as you're saying, your statistics bear it out that there's this very American audience. Um, yes. So do you have any sense of whether IVF is more prevalent in the U.S.? Are just as many people doing it internationally? as they are here? I don't believe it's just in the U.S. The proof, I'm in France, and in France, we don't have this age thing that actually exists in the U.S. Uh, For example, here, if you go to a doctor at 40 and you tell them you want to have a baby, they're going to say, okay, good, great, fine. Uh, This notion of advanced maternal age, that's really pissing me off uh, (laughs) in the United (laughs) States, mm, in most parts of the United States, uh, it comes up at like 34, 35. Yeah. I mean, no, man, 35, that's not old. I'm sorry. So if you go in France, you're 35, they don't say, well, you know. I went to my doctor when I was pregnant at 39 and then I lost the baby and he told me, oh, it's fine. You're going to get pregnant again. Wow. And when you go to your doctor and they see that you don't get pregnant in like six months, you know, uh, it's IVF directly. Yeah. Which personally, I think it's not, always the solution. And having talked to a lot of embryologists, having talked to a lot of REs, not only French, but from England, from from the United States, from Canada, they had to agree with me, you know, not that they had to, but they did agree with me. Yeah. So, so you are, you are a fertility coach, but you don't necessarily think IVF is always the right way to go. But it's not. What would be the alternatives? Well, sometimes trying naturally is just as effective as trying IVF. For example, for let's take it, you know, mathematically, if you're 44 and you're trying with your own eggs, okay, you don't want to do donor eggs. What is the difference in getting three eggs with IVF or two eggs or one egg, because it happens, you know, if you have diminished ovarian reserve or ovulating on your own without drugs, a drug is still a drug, you know, when you put it in your body, it's not fantastic. Interesting. Yeah. That's what I think. Now, of course, IVF is fantastic for people who need it. But if there is no male fertility, no male factor involved, and if it's just a matter of diminished ovarian reserve, it also depends on many things. What pains me is to see that many people, many couples, they feel that IVF is their only solution uh, and they put a huge pressure on themselves financially, especially in the United States. It's a horrible thing. Even if we were to pay out of pocket here in France, you wouldn't pay more than five, six thousand for a cycle, meds included. Oh my gosh. Whereas in the United States, we're talking <laughs> yeah. four to five times this, this, this amount. 
Right. I know. So and it's long. so funny because it's like cynically, I'm sitting here thinking because it's such a profitable industry, this is why people push the advanced maternal age and push the IVF. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if I believe that because I do think they sincerely want you to have a baby, but because it ties in so much with financial success in this mm-hmm. industry, you know, they, yeah, they want you to have a baby, but they also want you to have a baby so they can tell the next 42 women that you had a baby. And then those 42 women will come over and do IVF. And, you know, whereas if you live in a country with a nationalized mm. healthcare system, yeah. maybe the, uh, you know, the, the motivations are slightly different and, and the things that you tell women are maybe are slightly different. Um, it's hard to say. Well, I, I believe that it started as a genuine intention of doing well, you know, and of helping yeah. couples have babies. And I, I still believe 100% that the, the vast majority of them are trying to help you genuinely have a baby. Yes. But then again, there is a part of them and it's true in any field and it's true in any domain and, with you know, with anyone uh I, we shouldn't generalize in either, you know, in either in either direction. But of course, there are part of them who are in it also for business, right. and it is a business. It is a huge business, right? And um, for the big clinics, the ones that have amazing success rates and stuff, it's very important to look at the success rates and see exactly what because you know there are there are women in my group that said I'm going to go to this clinic because they have fantastic success rates. Okay, fantastic. How old are you? 44. You don't have to look at the success rate in general. You have to look at the success rate for your age group because if they have success rates, I don't know, 60% success for, uh, you know, women who are uh, 32 mm-hmm. and you're 44, you don't fit in that success rate, you know? Right. You don't, you won't, you can't. Right, right. Now, if I went now to a doctor and I told him I'm 46, if I told him I want to have a baby and if they will tell me, oh, never mind donor eggs, let's go try with your eggs. I would know that he's bullshitting me. <laughs> I was wondering how I that sentence was going to end because I was like, where is this? Well, yes, <laughs> because I would know that right. it's not true, right. that maybe he would just, you know, say, yeah, let's do five, six cycles because anyway, at your age, but can we expect two, three eggs per cycle? Right. IVF is still a game of numbers. It's about how many eggs you make at the end of the day. Right. That's the, the, the truth. And that is why when you have a diminished ovarian reserve, it's, uh, you know, less interesting for you economically to do it because if in the end you need, say, 15, 12 eggs to be sure to make a one PGS normally tested embryo, yeah. uh, how many cycles would I need to make 20 eggs? Four, five, you know? Right. Have you had, do you coach people to make those kinds of decisions? If If you see someone that you know probably should either should move to an egg donor or should not move to an egg donor or should maybe stop, you know, someone who was yeah. in your You shoes. know, I cannot, I cannot assess um, their situations and tell them you should go to egg donor or you should do that. But I can certainly tell them what are the options? Mm-hmm. What are the options? So they can go to the doctor and discuss the options based on numbers, based on studies. Because some of them, they don't know their options. Right. I've had clients who are 36 and they were they were turned to donor eggs. It's like 36, you go to donor oh, eggs. Why? Yeah. Why? And do you have insurance? Yes, I do. Covering IVF? Yes. Why go to donor egg? You can do donor egg in three years. Right. In four years. In you know, you can do it in 10 years, but let's just say you want two or three kids, you know? Right. So if you're 36, you can just send me to donor eggs just because I had a slightly higher FSH or I don't know. 
Yeah. You just have that much time to try with your own eggs. Two or three years, go with your own eggs, try it, especially if it's covered, if you can afford it. Now, if you can't afford it and you're telling me that, well, I can only, I have this kind of money and I have to, you know, it's like a casino. Do I put it on red or do I put it on black? <laughs> right. You know, all of it. <laughs> exactly. Now, oh if my you God. tell me this, then I'm going to tell you probably it's better to go for, for egg donor if you're okay with it in your head. But you know what? Most of them, they're not okay with it in, in their head. And this it's, it's an endless suffering. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah. So you're not, you don't have to do anything, you know, that you're right. not okay with. Yeah. Yes. Have you coached people when it's... It's time to stop. Not that you're telling them to, but are there people who've come to that moment where they just think, "Yes, I'm done," yes. and they uh, need to start yes, to many heal? Times because again, most of my clients they are over forty, and you know you can't help it. But this this idea comes up: when am I going to stop? Right. And to be honest, the best example that I can give them is myself. I couldn't stop myself. I'm if it were after my husband. If it were for my husband, he would have he would have stopped a long time ago because he saw me struggling a lot, you know. Yeah. But I just couldn't. It was every time it was, that's it, I'm gonna stop. And then I would have a negative and I was like, oh my God, but what if the next cycle is successful? You know? Right. I just couldn't detach. And and how did you? I then at one point, I just don't know how. It just came upon me. Mm-hmm. One day I was like, you know, I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, I I have to get my life back. I have to start working again. I have to start, you know, doing my hair again, putting makeup again, feeling like doing these things. Mm-hmm. I have to, to, you know, to enjoy my kids, to enjoy my husband, to go on holiday. We put all our, all our lives on hold. Always. Yeah. Always. I know. Or, it was horrible. It was just horrible. I was in chains. Yeah. And it was the moment that I was at peace with myself. Mm. And I told my husband, I told him, I just can't. I want to stop. Right. You know, in my life, I always try to find a reason. And I think that's how we are humans in general, you know, to find a reason for things that were happening to me. Mm-hmm. We're always like that. And you ask humans, why me? Why does this happen to me? What's the reason behind it? I got involved more and more in this Facebook community group and my blog and my consultations and stuff. And um, maybe that was the reason. Yeah. Because I was not concerned by it. Yeah. So now I saw the other side of the story and maybe it was for me to help people because I've had many successes in my career. I've been very happy with my achievements, but there was not another job for me as gratifying as this one. Wow. Yeah. You know, when, when people send me messages and, you know, tell me how much I help them, you know, just opening their eyes. Yeah. You know, giving them the tools to communicate with their doctors and with their clinics. and. Uh, I don't know. It's fantastic. It's, I, I, I sometimes cry when I read their messages yeah. and, you know, to be honest, if it's just for that, then my struggle would have been worth it. Yeah. I mean, well, it's almost totally. like, you, you know, you, you gave birth to this wonderful thing and yeah. you know, it's, it was a, a, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a different kind of birth, obviously it's a different kind mm-hmm. of life, but you're, you're able to give this support and this, this really vital life to people that are struggling so hard to create their own. And so I think that that's, you know, it's an interesting transfer of your energies and your emotions and, and your, um, your abilities, you know, that sort of refusal to give up the, you being stubborn, you know, this is the way you're now helping other people in what they're going through. So that feels very natural to me. And I wonder too, if the loss of your first husband 
put you in a, a unique position as well to understand grief and to understand loss and also to understand healing and recovery. Probably. I believe that, you know, all the, the trials that we experience in life, they forge us and they prepare us for, for what's to come. So yeah. we, we grow through this. Right. We evolve constantly. And it's interesting there in looking at your Facebook group, um, get mm-hmm. the golden egg. I want to repeat it. Um, the conversation that seems to have sparked the most interaction and engagement and also controversy is from a woman who was struggling with secondary infertility, which is also mm, what you yeah. struggled with. You had two children when you were going through this, trying to have yes. next. This is a hot topic. Very hot topic. In fact, the moment that I really got engaged with your page was your response to those comments. And you really had to lay down the law because there was so much anger from people towards the woman struggling since she already had a kid. This is the this unique trauma of secondary infertility is it can be even that much harder to find support because yeah. you can't talk to people who have zero children and are still struggling because they don't see why you have a problem or they, they, they're not cruel. They understand. But at the end of the day, and this was me, I'm speaking for myself from when I didn't have children and I had friends going through um, secondary infertility. I thought, well, what's your problem? You know, at the end of your rainbow, you still have a kid. At the end of mine, I got zero. So why should I? And it really sparked this big conversation on your, I keep wanting to say blog. It feels like a blog, but you know, on your Facebook page. Um, And you had to, you stepped in and you said, listen, (laughs) there is no hate speech here. Take it elsewhere. We are here to be supportive. You've got to calm down people. Everyone has a different pain. Everyone has a different experience. And then there's like a whole new round of comments to your comment that are very supportive and grateful. And, you know, but I, I found that so interesting. And I, I wonder as a group moderator, and I think maybe this is where a lot of groups do fail you do have sort of a critical role to play in, in guiding that conversation. And, mm-hmm. and is that hard for you to shut people down or, or what is that like for you when you know, oh gosh, I got to step in here? Well, um, I don't have to shut them down. That's the best part of it. And that's the best part of running a group over 40. 99% of, of us are very responsible and, you know, down to earth, like you said. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to shut them up. Of course, like, in any group, and now we have a community of over 6,000 people, and that's quite a lot. Yeah. In any group, there are people who just don't fit. They probably don't fit anywhere. Right. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but the thing with the, this competition, you know, this Olympics of pain, the competition between primary infertility and secondary infertility, this is something that comes up quite often. Mm-hmm. And it's true that secondary infertility is perceived by everyone, not by just by those who suffer from from primary infertility, but by everyone in general is, you know, kind of not valid because just like you said, you have a kid and that's it. Um, I personally don't feel it like this because, you know, take my case, I have have two children, but from a previous marriage and then I had a loss with my husband and my actual husband and I don't have a child with my husband, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's not like I've had eight kids with the same man and I want a ninth one, you know? But then again, even if it were so, who are we to judge? Right. How do we know? Maybe that woman who wants, and I, you know, actually there was one at one point, she said she wanted to have a seventh child or so. Wow. Oh my God. (laughs) I can't tell you the comments. We're like, 
guys, how do you know? And then she said she just lost one. She, it was, oh. she, the baby was six months old and he died. <gasps> so that woman obviously had a trauma. You know, she, yeah. was, she, she was traumatized. She want, just wanted to, I know you can't replace a baby, but you know, in our heads when we're in pain, so who are you to tell me if I'm entitled or not to be sorry that I didn't get pregnant with my eighth child this time? You know, so what's your problem? Right. If you want to stay in, in, in my group, you're more than welcome. But just don't come here and tell me that my pain is not valid because I, I won't take that. Right. And I'm just wondering, as we go through this experience, you know, we see the 26-year-old who made 40 eggs and it triggers something in us, right? And like my current thing is, even though I have a child, when someone gets pregnant naturally, like kind of easily, I'm still a little bit upset, you know? I'm not upset with yeah. them. I'm just like, you know? Yeah. So I wonder course. as a coach... Does anything ever get triggered in you? Um, no, I no, yeah. actually no, because I kind of detach myself. You know, it's it's funny. I never thought of it. You brought it to my attention, <laughs> but no, <laughs> because you know when a client comes to me, it's like it's my own. It becomes my own battle. Yes, that's true. That's <laughs> so a good their point. success is my success. I kind of feel it like that. Yeah, I kind of perceive it like that. That's interesting. But, You're in the struggle with them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Totally. I'm in the struggle with them. And then whenever some of them, you know, they have a positive outcome, it's like, yes, we did it. That's so true. I never thought about that. And then in terms of the Facebook group, when you have people that you're coaching, do you ever realize that maybe they shouldn't join one of these Facebook groups? You know, sometimes these kinds of groups are addictive to people in a somewhat harmful way. Have you ever had to kind of coax them back out of things like that? Well, you know, this is why I have so many great feedback about my group is that I try to keep it as scientific as possible. Mm -hmm. I never allow any, you know, midwife's tales. I mean, as long as they're not harming, right? Uh, you know, people can ask, is it okay? I've heard that I can eat fries when I to McDonald's after my transfer. <laughs> right. Fine. Go ahead and eat your fries, you know? Right. But when you say that if you want your implantation to be successful, you have to go eat fries from McDonald's. Right. Now, that's another, you know, another topic. And no, I can't have this in my group. So the problem with most groups or forums and stuff is that the moderator is not present mm. or they don't have a, you know, a guiding line mm -hmm. for the group. My, for my group, my, the guiding line is that we keep it as scientific as possible. If we don't know the answer, we don't give the answer. Uh, if you claim something, now you better come up with something scientific, you know, to back it up. Mm -hmm. And just where did you hear that? Who told you? If it's a friend, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. Come up with something. I cannot leave a comment there that says... I don't know. My friend used lavender oil and she got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Right, right. And fantastic that she got, you know, but yeah. it's fantastic. But we, you can't say this, that it's for a fact. We know that this is lavender oil is what gets you pregnant. No, it's, it's not. Right. Nothing. There is no guarantee. So I try to keep it as scientific as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting because I think that's a lot harder than people might think, because this is a world where everybody wants it to work. Everybody wants mm -hmm. to think of any possible solution to help someone have a baby. And if they know someone who drank pineapple juice and had a baby, they want to share that. They want, they, you know, I, th I do think it comes from an honest, good intentioned 
place, but it can often actually be very harmful because we wind up drinking pineapple juice straight for six months. And then we still have a pregnancy fail and we're in despair because, but I drank pineapple and, juice. And overweight for drinking pineapple and juice overweight. for six months straight. <laughs> pineapple <laughs> juice, making themselves sick. Yeah. I think, I mean, in fact, it's funny. I saw a post, I think it was last night of someone uh, on your, on your page who has, mm-hmm. Um, just gotten pregnant over 40 and is asking people about supplements to help the mm-hmm. pregnancy. And that's one of those moments where you wonder. Yeah, I know the post. Yeah. And so I want, so what, so let's talk about that one. What, I mean, I'm not calling anyone out, but what, what are your mm-hmm. feelings about a post like that? Because it's an honest question. You know, they want to do as much as they can to keep I this replied, going. I replied actually. Oh, okay. I didn't see you. I replied reply. and I told her congratulations. Actually, I replied first and then the second reply said, by the way, congrats. <laughs> you I felt you were supported. So I had to reply first. <laughs> yeah. So I, I replied and I told her, once you're pregnant, the only thing that can actually help you stay pregnant is progesterone if you don't have enough. Mm. Other than that, there's not much you can do. And even progesterone, which is, you know, essential for, for pregnancy. If, for example, your pregnancy is bad, like, you know, a chromosomal issue, which for now you can't know because she was like, she just found out mm-hmm. yesterday when she posted. Um, or if you're having other issues like clotting issues or autoimmune issues, or I don't know what kind of other issues, progesterone is not going to help you. So at this point, after implantation to place, if you know a doctor will ever give you anything else except progesterone and maybe some baby aspirin, if they consider, mm-hmm. you know, just to be on the safe side. Other than that, there, there's not much, but kind of supplements. You just can keep on taking your prenatal. And- right. And I want to turn back to you for a little bit. Um, when you had your first two kids mm-hmm. and, you know, as you say, it happened pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Did it ever occur to you that other people have trouble? Did you have any kind of awareness no. of this world? Yeah. No, I didn't. No, frankly, to be honest, no, if I think, no, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't acknowledge that. But I think it's like you were saying, you know, it's not around, it's not happening around you. Yeah. Of course you hear that that couple over there, um, they struggle to have kids and they couldn't and they say, Oh, poor them and stuff. But then you just, it's not your struggle. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's also, it's funny because it's so prevalent. I mean, like one in eight couples in the U S has some kind of fertility issue and yet it feels so foreign to so many people. And, Maybe because it's so private, or I don't know why. Yes, but. because it's it, there's a big taboo about infertility, mm-hmm. and people refuse to talk about it. Mm-hmm. They still, to this day, even educated couples, they consider it kind of shameful. Mm-hmm. We are perpetuating, you know, uh, an old idea that you know, if you can't have kids, you are somehow flawed, or I don't know, which is stupid because it's totally not a child that's going to make you worthy of living on this planet, you know? Right. I mean, there are so many people who have children and they are worthless and there are so many people who can't have children and they are fantastic human beings. So I I don't think a kid is a guarantee of you being a good person, you know? Right. I think it's also that our culture, maybe, I don't know, in the Western world or in the human world is so you know, mother focused, it's just considered to be normal. You know, they don't sell dishwashing detergent to women over 40 living on their own, having a career. They sell it to moms and dads and people with kids. And, you know, so everything is kind of built that way. And I think that 
we just absorb that whether we want to or not. Absolutely. Mm. And I've had more often than not women on my group being depressed, like really depressed Mm -hmm. uh, and saying, I can't wrap my head about around it. All I ever wanted was to be a mother. If I'm not a mother, then what am I? And if I don't have kids, then I would have lived for nothing. And I feel it. It's very sad to think like that. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, guys, the simple fact that you are able physically to procreate doesn't turn you into a better person. And the fact that you can't, it doesn't make you a bad person. So how can you how can you feel like that? Right. There are so many women who made history and who didn't have children. Right. It's not about giving birth. You can be a fantastic mother if you adopt a child. I mean, I can understand the need of having a biological child, but having a biological child does not mean being a mother. Mm-hmm. A mother is the one who raises you. Right. Um, and then in terms of your coaching, on your website, you describe yourself basically as a control freak who hates to be told what to do, which I can fully yeah. relate to. So it must have been interesting when you were going through your fertility struggles because people constantly tell us what to do. Do you think becoming a coach is partly maybe a reaction to that as well as, you know, you want to do it better than those people did for you? Like when people would say, oh, sleep on your left side. That's how the egg oh God, will, yeah. Did you it. get all of that yeah, stuff? You know, yeah, the, fam- the, famous, the famous fertility tips. Right. Well, uh, the one that I love most is relax and it's going to happen. <laughs> I love that one. It's fantastic. The, the number of times I've heard it from my own family. In the <laughs> I, you know, people just, I think that people just, you know, kind of have this tendency of repeating what they hear other right. saying, you know? Right. And yeah. So yeah, that's horrible. Ugh, it's horrible. I, I know. hate fertility tips <laughs> from family. Relax, uh, wear socks. I got that. Pineapple. Yeah, the pineapple thing. I am mystified by the pineapple thing. I just learned that this year. I never even heard that before. See, I could have had a kid. It would have all worked out if I'd eaten pineapple. Yeah, well, it says that actually the pineapple core contains a substance that might help with implantation, urine flow. Personally, I believe that in order for it to make a real difference, you know, you would have to eat huge quantities. But I like pineapple. So if you want to eat pineapple core, just by all means, go and eat it. (laughs) It's not going to harm you. Right. You know, I had a post on Instagram a few days ago. um, You know, the thing with put your legs up. Yes. After intercourse. So that this is a myth. Yeah. There is no scientific proof that it ever works. First of all, that if you put your legs up, your pelvis is still going to be, you know, unless you lift your pelvis too. Right. So that you're like kind of in the Trendelenburg position with the, the, the pelvis higher than the head. But then again, you don't need to do that because the sperm has a fantastic ability of running up your tubes before, you know, you get out of bed. Right. So it's a myth. But <laughs> if you want to do it, by all means, go do it. It's no harm. It's not, it, it is not harmful. Right. Uh, it's just, it, you don't have to take it, you know, as a, as a rule, as, as a scientific a, fact, as a, as a scientific fact and as a rule and yeah, don't, don't count on it. Right. No, absolutely. And that's the problem is all of, that's why we wind up trying absolutely everything that people send us because it can't hurt. So, you know, if right. I need to, you know, inject tofu into my, well, I guess that would, that could hurt if I put no, tofu in my okay. veins. Don't do that. <laughs> No, and you have to take care. You have to take. We have to take care with tofu because it's uh, related to estrogen, and you don't want an estrogen dominance when you're trying to get pregnant. That's true. So that's you a good tofu one. Tofu in limited quantities. Limited quantities, right? That's true. <laughs> Plus, it makes you fart. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I just have one last question, which is, is there anything else you'd like to share? If there's anyone maybe considering going into coaching or anyone looking for the right Facebook group or, or anything else you feel you'd like to tell people? And then how do we find you? Well, they can find me by going directly on my website, which is www.getthegoldenegg.com. Getthegoldenegg.com. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's your your platform. Well, about Facebook groups, uh, I think the best is to, you know, to shop around, to enter as many as you can, and then you will just get out of them yes. <laughs> as you discover they're not for you. And you will just stick with the ones that you really believe bring you value. As for coaching, I believe it is when you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you lost your north and you don't know where to go mm-hmm. uh, during your infertility journey. I think um, some coaching and a patient advocate uh, on your side might help you see the light. Mm-hmm. Of course, a patient advocate, a fertility coach, they can't guarantee you're going to get pregnant. That's not the point. I've seen fertility coaches having a money-back guarantee. Mm. I mean, if an RE cannot guarantee you a baby, a fertility coach surely can't guarantee you a baby. Right. This This is bullshit, really. But they can help you. You know, they can offer you a shoulder to cry on and be the clear mind behind you, you know, because when we're in the fertility journey, when we're the the main characters, you know, we're biased Mm -hmm. and we can't always see, you know, right for wrong. We're, we're just kind of lost or too passionate about it. Do you find yourself doing any research for your clients? Like they just feel overwhelmed and the doctor said this, this, and this? I always do research for my clients. (laughs) That's about it. That's a huge (laughs) additive. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's about it. I do the research. I help them communicate with their clinics, but how? By helping them ask certain questions that I can see from their previous communication with a clinic that have been, they have been, you know, overlooked Mm. and they're important to understand where exactly you're going and what are your chances and what are their options you might have. So yeah, I do the research and every time I send them back to their clinics and to their REs, I send them back with, you know, with homework and they usually go with the list. And this is something that some REs don't like because my REs didn't like it, but I can't care. I couldn't care less. You know, the main purpose is that you as a patient, you are informed, you are educated, and you go there and you discuss your situation and your life and your health, you know, knowing what you're talking about. And also so many people are afraid to take up too much of their doctor's time, um, you know, or to question something. And I think having you holding them up from behind probably yeah. helps them stand yeah. up for themselves more. Yeah. You know, when I would go to see my REs in the beginning, you know, when I was new to all this, I was like, you know, head down. I, I could barely, you know, dare to lift my eyes. Yeah. And whatever he would say, it's like the gods were talking to me. And then I was like, why the heck? I'm paying him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you go to your doctor and you want a cup B pair of boobs uh, and they insist on cup E, because that's how he sees you with a cup E. And you're like, oh my God, they're huge. I'm not comfortable with the idea. They say, no, 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 no. Take the cup E. Are you going to pay 20,000 to to pay for a cup E that you're not comfortable with? I'm sorry, but it's the same with fertility treatments. If you're not happy about the way they're treating you, 
just remember this, you're paying and you're not ha- you don't have to buy anything you're not comfortable with. And we know how important boobs are in France. So this is a very important right. metaphor. Yes. In France, why? Because they're not important in America. <laughs> <laughs> I think people in America think people in France just go around topless all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has really just been thank you. wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. Fabulous. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with me and Awana. If her Facebook group sounds up your alley, find them at Get the Golden Egg, all one word. And reach out to Awana if you're in need of help figuring out your next move. As you can hear, she is upfront, knowledgeable, and kind. And tell her IVFU sent you. And speaking of knowledgeable and kind, we're still accepting questions for Savannah Sandfield to be answered in this season's finale episode. So submit by November 11th, 11-11, see how easy we made that, to ivfupodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at ivfupodcast. The IVFU Podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaper, and Emmeline Summerton. Audio mastered by Logan Heftel. Thanks to Chris Benelli for the late night Pro Tools parties, George Strayton for marriage, and Gary Scott for greasing the wheels. IVFU is a production of Inside Voices Media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. You can download our theme song, Freakin' Love, at IVFUPodcast.com. And we'd love for you to review us on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to anyone who might be helped by these conversations. You can also be a huge help by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and PayPal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you. And thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together because it's all about being a family. <laughs>